0: to the book of Psalms. And we started here yesterday in the message. I was a little bit afraid that the pastor yesterday was going to steal my message, but he didn't, so I'm going to preach it anyway. Psalm 19. Psalm 19. And just the last verse of this psalm is where we want to spend our time this morning. Look with me at the words found here in Psalm 19, verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. The words we use are a great indicator of the condition of our heart. What comes out of our mouth indicates what's in our heart. Now we know that only God can see our heart. I can't see your heart this morning. You can't see mine. God is the only one who can see our heart. Now, set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins are in the light of thy countenance. God sees the innermost part of our being. He sees the secrets, the things that no one else would know about us. God sees. We can hide them from our best friend. We can hide things from our parents. We can hide things from those who know us very well. But God sees through that veneer or that barrier of the outer exterior and knows what's in our heart. Jeremiah 17 and verse 10 says, "'I, the Lord, search the heart.'" I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. In 1 Samuel 16, a well-known passage where Samuel is told that man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looketh on the heart. Our words, however, expose what's in our heart. While your roommate can't see your heart, while your instructors cannot look into your heart, while your pastor and close friends would never know all that's in your heart, our words, what comes out of our mouth, exposes what is there. And there's no doubt then that the psalmist, as he prays this prayer, is concerned that his not only his words would be right, but that the thoughts of his heart would be right, because they are linked together. Let the words of my mouth, and the meditation of my heart, be acceptable in thy sight. The writer here is concerned that what comes out of his mouth is acceptable, but perhaps even more importantly, what's in his heart is acceptable. They are linked together. Jesus said so in Luke chapter 6 and verse 46. He said, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth good things. But an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart speaketh forth evil things, for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. So what do your words reveal about you? When you speak, what do people instantly know about you? Do your words reveal anger, envy, jealousy, covetousness, lust? Do our words reveal fear, stress? Worry, frustration? Or do our words reveal faith, grace, forgiveness, edification? Do our words reveal love, hope, mercy, encouragement? When words slip out of our mouth, words like, oh my God, it reveals something in here. When the words, what the, you've heard it. You've heard it on this campus because I have. You don't say the third word, but it reveals something in your heart. Three considerations this morning when it comes to our words, and perhaps more importantly, our heart. Notice first this morning the the genesis of our words. The genesis of our words. We learn to talk. Usually around two years of age, a child begins to express some actual words, some sooner, some later. But around that age, children begin to express themselves with words. Up until that time, they, they cry, they make noise, but they're not speaking an understandable language. Parents work hard the minute they're born to try to get them to speak. Child is like six months old and daddy's trying to get him to say, Dad dad. Dad dad. You know. kid goes, uh, no, dad, dad. <laughs> eh. You know, <laughs> dad and, and and mom, when dad goes to work, mama, ma because they want the child to say dad first or mama first. And they, they consider themselves a winner, whatever the kid says. My oldest son, John, I, I never taught him to say "dad." My first word I tried to teach him was ball. I'd hold a football, I'd say ball, ball. And literally the first words out of John's mouth were ball. <laughs> I was, I won. I won. I don't have any statistical data to back this up. I have no idea if I could prove this. But I, I was thinking about this again this morning. A child is not likely to say something they have not heard. Now, as I said a minute ago, children make sounds, and, and sometimes a child, before he speaks intelligibly, he sometimes will say something, that we, oh, he just said But he didn't mean to say it, right? I mean, it it, it came out and it sounded like a word. I'm wondering, does a child ever speak anything, any word that he's never heard? That's how we learn to speak. That's how we learn words, by someone else speaking those words. So then, words have their genesis in what we hear. Nothing changes when we're adults. A child, when he does say dada or mama or ball, he is mimicking words that he has heard. Words that people have rehearsed in front of him over and over and over again. And now he's, he's learning to form his mouth and, and move his, his lips or whatever to, to make that word. And so he is, he is expressing something he's heard. Nothing changes as we get older. Words have their genesis in what we, we hear. How do do we learn a language? Well, you can learn a language from a textbook, I suppose, but it's a lot easier if you get around people who are speaking it, right? It helps if the teacher who's teaching you the language is pronouncing the words for you. It helps if you're a missionary and you go to a a foreign field and you're around the culture and you're around those that are speaking the language. Most people, when they go to language school, they they try to interact at a local church or they try to start going to stores and buying things. Why? Because they want to hear the language. They want to hear it. They want to hear how those people in that area pronounce those words that they're looking at in a book. So words have their genesis in what we hear. Others can tell what we're listening to by the words we use. The words we use indicate who our friends are. The words we use would indicate our music tastes. The words we use would indicate how much time we spend in Scripture the words we use would maybe indicate the videos we watch or the video games we play when john our oldest son was about four we were at a camp and it was a team camp and john always liked to go to all the activities he liked to be where the action was and we'd let him go you know sometimes in the afternoon they'd have a big activity he'd want to go watch and we always weren't able to join him. We had a little baby at the time, and my wife had to, of course, care for, for Melinda, and, and sometimes I would have studying to do and things in the afternoon to prepare for the services. And, and so I remember one afternoon, we let John go to this big activity, and we told him, now, when that's over, you come back and check in with us. And, And uh, so he went, and it was a hot summer day, and he enjoyed that activity and came running back to the trailer. He was all red and hot and sweaty, and he burst in that trailer, and he said, Mom, I need a drink. I need a drink. My wife was in the back of the trailer feeding the baby, and and she said, I'll be just a minute, son. I'll, I'll be just a minute, son. And John said, Shut up, Mom. Now that phrase, shut up, had never existed in our home until that day. My wife and I had determined a long time before that 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 wasn't the kind of language we were going to use around each other. We weren't going to express that one another to one another even though we maybe wanted them to stop talking. That wasn't the way we were going to accomplish it, right? So I knew the minute that came out of his mouth I thought, he didn't hear that from me. He didn't learn those words from my wife. I don't know that he's been around anybody to my knowledge that's ever said that. And so the first thing out of my mouth was, John, where did you hear that? I didn't say, why did you say that? I wanted to know the genesis of that. Where did you hear that? I remember tears pouring down his face. He pointed out the door and he said, big kids, big kids. Well, down at the ball field during the activity, some teenager said to some other teenager, shut up. Well, John thought, hey, that that worked. That was great. Try that on mom, right? See, words have their genesis in what we hear. But words have their genesis in what we harbor. Now, it is impossible to live in this big planet Earth without hearing some things we probably shouldn't. I mean, it'd be pretty hard to turn on a radio or a news station or a sports broadcast or to just drive down the street and, 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 and go into a store or visit with people anywhere, go out winning without hearing something that would be wrong, that would be a violation of, of, of God's pleasure in our life. So we're going to hear some things that obviously are going to enter our brain that may not be wholesome. But what do we do with what we hear? Do we think on it? Because words have their genesis in what we hear, but then in what we harbor. Have you ever said, I spoke without thinking? You said something and immediately you recognized that was the wrong thing to say. I I shouldn't have said that. I spoke without thinking. Actually, you were thinking too much. If If something slipped out of your mouth, as I illustrated a minute ago, it slipped out because you harbored it. You heard someone else use a word that was maybe off color or maybe a curse word or a frustration word. You heard it and you harbored it. And now you said, oh, I, I spoke without thinking, it slipped out. I, I remember, uh, you know, many times years ago when you would go soul winning and someone would curse and they, they realized you were from the church, they'd say, oh, please pardon my language. You know, they would apologize for it because they knew it offended you. People don't do that anymore. They don't, they don't think it offends you. And I'm afraid most Christians it doesn't. But the point is, when we say, I, I spoke without thinking, no, you were, you were thinking about that too much. You harbored that. You took it in. You thought about it. You dwelled in it. And now it slips out. This is why the psalmist is asking God to control his thoughts. Why? Because these thoughts become words. That's why Paul said, "Uh, uh, Finally, my brethren, what sort of things are true, what sort of things are honest, what sort of things are just, what sort of things are pure, what sort of things are lovely, what sort of things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things, the true things, the honest things, the just things, the pure things. Why? Because we are going to be confronted with words. We are going to hear some things that we shouldn't harbor. And the only way you're going to force those things out is to think on the right things. Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me. Have you ever confessed your thoughts to the Lord? We confess our actions if they're wrong. Have you ever confessed wrong thoughts? Proverbs chapter 24 and verse 9 says, the thought of foolishness is sin. If we are thinking things contrary to God, if we are thinking lustful thoughts, we're thinking fearful thoughts, we're thinking worrisome thoughts, we're thinking covetous thoughts, we're thinking jealousy. It's just as wrong as being jealous or being angry or, 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 or being outwardly a fornicator. The thought of foolishness is sin. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord. For have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Paul told a man in Acts chapter 8, Repent therefore of this thy wickedness and pray God if the thoughts of thine heart may be forgiven thee. When's the last time you confessed your thoughts? When's the last time you asked God to try your thoughts? When's the last time as the psalmist prayed, Lord, let the meditation of my heart the things that nobody else knows, the things that other people would, would be surprised was there. Because eventually if we don't, it's the genesis of our words. This is why God's Word, this is why reading it, this is why meditating on it. This is why listening to preaching is so important. Why? Because the Bible says the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. God doesn't want His Word simply to convict you about the way you're acting. He wants the word of God to convict you about the way you're thinking. (laughs) Because as you think, you're going to be. As he thinketh in his heart, so is he. It's the real you. The words are just simply the expression of what's in here. And so the genesis of of our words. What we hear, what we harbor, is the genesis of our words. But notice, secondly, the greatness of words. Job said in chapter 6 and verse 25, how forcible are right words. How forcible are right words. I'm sure he could have put a little footnote there, how forcible are wrong words. We've all been hurt by words. We've been devastated at times by words. Certainly, we can remember times when words were a great encouragement to us, and boy, the timing of those words were just so helpful. The timing of uh, maybe a note that you got from somebody that just encouraged you, or the, the timing of a sermon in your life, you know, those words, how forcible they were at that moment when you needed them. Think about how forcible God's words are. Think about the Word of God and how forcible that is. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. The reason you're saved is because of the Word of God. As the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth and maketh it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please and prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. How forcible are the words of God. How powerful are Satan's words. Hath God said... Boy, that started a string of thinking, didn't it? That ended in our sinful nature. Likewise, our words have great power. Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Think of that. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Our words can harm James chapter 3, the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature. Words can discourage, words can demean, words can damage, words can divide, words can destroy. They can destroy a friendship. They can destroy an association. They can destroy a marriage, they can destroy a church, they can destroy a nation. Words, power, but words can not only harm, words can heal. How forcible are right words, the power of the right kind of words. A word spoken in due season, how good is it? Boy, how good was that? When he said that, oh man, that just, that just helped me. That just made my day. Boy, that, that just picked up my spirit. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pictures of silver. A soft tongue breaketh the bone. A soft answer turneth away wrath. Think of it. It is through God's words that we communicate the gospel that changes a person's eternity. It is through words, edifying words, that we build the believer. It is through encouraging words that we help those that are weary and discouraged. It is through corrective words that we help the foolish. Statistics say that the average male huh, says 10,000 words a day. The average female says 25,000 words a day. Just giving you the facts. <laughs> Whenever I give that statistic, people say, all the ladies get upset. And, they'll, and, and I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, you guys never listen. We have to tell you twice. And I get that. So your words are over twice as many. 25,000 words every day from you girls. And 10,000 words every day from you guys. You know, I did a little math. I'm not the math professor here, but I did a little math. I have a calculator. That's eight Point five million words spoken on this campus every day. 8.5 million words are spoken by staff, faculty, and students of West Coast Baptist College every day. Out of those 8.5 million, Million words, how many of them helped and how many of them hurt? The power, the greatness of words. But I want you to see finally today not only the genesis of our words and the greatness of words. But the gravity of words. Hey! That sound lasted a while, didn't it? If I said, hey. You heard the sound, but it was gone very quickly. But if I say, hey! It takes a while for that to get out of our range. Did you know that every sound that's ever been made is still out there? Sound travels in wavelengths. It's like when you throw a rock in a pond and there's ripples that go out to the shore. When you make a sound, that sound travels in wavelengths, and in a very short time, it's out of our range. We no longer hear it, but it's still traveling, still going. It never ceases to exist. Think about the life of words. We may say something, good or bad, and not really think about what we said beyond that moment. But we just sent that word on a journey. How many times have you said or have you heard someone say, I remember you said. How many of you remember things a preacher said? Maybe the day you got saved. You remember some words that were said to you that brought you to salvation. You see, those words that were spoken by that preacher, those words that were spoken by a friend or an enemy, they started a journey, and they're still speaking. That's why Solomon said, "'Curse not the king, no, not in thy heart. Curse not the rich in thy bedchamber, For a bird of the air shall carry thy voice, and that which hath wings shall tell the matter. He's saying, be careful what you say. You ever heard the phrase, a little birdie told me? How'd you hear that? Oh, a little birdie told me. That's right out of the Bible. You see, every word that we speak, it goes on a journey, and God has some witnesses. That he can bring back. Everything about us has a life beyond the immediate. We often live in the immediate and as a result we say things without thinking or thinking too much. We say things glibly. We say things casually. Unfortunately, sometimes we, we preach without any real intent of our words doing any work. We knock on doors and invite people to church without any real desire that anything would happen. But every time we speak, we send those words on a journey. Most of the people who influence my life are dead but I can still hear their words. And like Abel, he being dead yet speaketh. I can hear Dr. Goddard and his dry sense of humor in that back room back there before chapel, making us all laugh, sometimes on a difficult day. Precious memories. I can hear my father, who's been gone 20 years. I can hear his words. You see, he spoke them in the immediate moment, maybe of correction or maybe of encouragement, but all he did was send them on a journey. And I can remember hearing some words that were negative in my life that unfortunately I cannot dismiss. Words that hurt, words that stung, words that discouraged, the life of words. I spoke with Dr. Goddard a week ago today, there at the hospital. I'm not going to share our conversation But the words that he spoke to me from his bed, I will never forget. They will live with me forever. I cherish them. And every word you speak, someone will carry And it will all culminate with the last word, the last word. Turn to Matthew chapter 12. These are the words of Jesus In verse 36 of Matthew 12, But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Are you ready for the last word about your words? You and I won't have the last word. He will. Are you ready for the last word about yours?